Welcome to the Honest EP podcast. We are the podcast for health professionals and the wider community looking to explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based out of Sydney's Northern Beaches and joining me as always is Andrew, who's an allied health business owner and he's a business mentor as well. How are you, Andrew? Very well, Archie. How are you? Very good. You notice I added something to the end of your... You did. That was very exciting. Thank you. You're a business mentor. I am. That's How's a bit that? scary, isn't it? Is it? it well, it's, it's uh, you know, that kind of new feel when you go to a new job and you're like, oh, am I, am I good enough? Am I, am people going to take me seriously? Am I going to be valid? Yeah. All of those sort of thoughts go through your mind. I guess you just haven't had a new job in a while, have you? I haven't. It's strange now to be kind of working with other people. Yeah. It's, uh, it's different, mm. but very good. Very good. Very good. I mean, you are also a podcaster. Well, you know, this is just exciting. Technically, <laughs> Technically I'm, I, I ride on your coattails. Oh, there we go. Through this podcast. Well, riding, riding on, our, on our current streak, we've got guest number three in. How about that? Three, three episodes in a row we've got a guest. Our guest today is Becca, and Becca has given us a new drink today, which we're going to open now. Such Becca, how are sound. you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you for joining us. Um, what are we drinking? Um, we have got the Brookvale Union ginger beer. Nice. Alcoholic, I assume. Alcoholic ginger beer. Okay, good. Yeah. Always on a Friday. That's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, this um, has become a bit of a favourite of mine recently. Yeah? It's just really refreshing. That's really nice. <laughs> on a hot summer's day. Yeah, like Minus today. <laughs> <laughs> like today, which we was... We didn't imagine. <laughs> perfectly bluebird day. And then by 12 o'clock, pissing down with rain again. Classic yeah. summer. You this just have to delicious. use some creativity and picture the sun. Yeah. <laughs> this is delicious, though. Mm-hmm. It's good, eh? God. So, Brookvale... Wait, where is Brook... Oh, obviously, Brookvale, but is... um. Is a brewery around here that you can go to? It's down. It's down the road. Yeah, I feel like we should have just gone there. We should have. <laughs> we should take this podcast on the road and just go and sample some four pints. That'd be great. Let's make it a beer crawl. A there proper beer crawl, brewery crawl with podcast. Mm. A new guest at each, at each place as well. How good would that be? Fantastic. That All on the same day, so All. gradually you guys just get... <laughs> Eventually, it's very slow. Much more editing necessary at the end, last few episodes. Oh, this is great. Oh, awesome drink. Mm. Mm. Well, Becca, we wanted to have you on because um, you've got a very, very interesting story, whether you think so or not, um, and we just want to have a, a good chat about it. So I'm going to open it up and say, how did you end up here, Becca? <laughs> Here, okay, I'm going to take here as Australia because sure. I'm from the UK, so did my OT qualification over there. I pretty much moved here right after graduating, <laughs> so did like six months locum work and then um, got my visa. Fortunately, OT was on the skill shortage list. So it was pretty easy for me to get in and then moved over, moved to Melbourne, been in Melbourne, was in Melbourne for four years before moving up to Sydney in January this year. Wow. 
Yeah. There you go. Is OT, because you're from Wales specifically yes. in the UK, is uh, OT a big scene there? Um, yeah, I guess. It, like, you're never, like, going to be short of a job. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, predominantly I'd say, like, public health system, obviously UK, mm. very much NHS um, heavy in terms of healthcare roles um, or like your local council um, roles. And so was that where you were working within the NHS? Yeah, um, well, but I did a three month local role within the NHS and then three months in like community, like council system. Mm. What yeah. kind of area? Because OT is very, very broad, as yeah. we know. I mean, occupational therapy sounds like well for the for the normal person, kind of sounds like oh, it's work related. Yeah, you're a therapist at someone's work, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what I used to think. <laughs> yeah, and I I totally get like why it's not a great title because mm. I guess how I explain it is like think of an occupation as everything that you do within your day-to-day life mm. and then it becomes a bit more clear mm. but then because there are so many like specialties and variations within the role it gets confusing again because most people are like oh I do equipment like you give people <laughs> like a shower chair I'm like yeah that's part of it yeah, I build shower chairs <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so in hostel role, it was a bit more varied, so it was like a rehab hospital, so a bit of everything, a bit of um, neuro, like stroke rehab, which was cool, um, uh, but yeah, lots of like equipment just to get them home safely, and then within like the community team, very much like home odds and equipment stuff. Is that probably, would you say that's the most common OT role, that kind of area? I think in the UK, like you're either within the hospital system, generally like what new grads like to do is like the rotations, right? So mm. you do like nine months in one area and then do, um, then move to a different one. But certainly where I lived, there weren't heaps of other opportunities. So it was either you go and work for the NHS or you work in like aged care in the community. Nice. So then when you moved to Australia, um, what area of OT did you get into? So to be able to practice in Australia, I had to do six months supervised practice. Mm -hmm. So my challenge was finding a business, company, organization, whatever, that would employ me and be willing to sort of do that with me. Um, so I did manage to find a role. Um, it was in community aged care um, in Melbourne. Like I was looking all over Australia, it just so happened that I found a role in Melbourne. Um, yeah, stayed there for a little while. <laughs> Sounds much. like it was fascinating. Area. Did the supervised practice and was like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, oh, dear. I'm sure they were not best pleased about, but look, it just wasn't an area where I felt challenged enough. Like, I was like, oh, I didn't really need to 
have a degree to be able to do this. I'm not really mm-hmm. using my brain or the skills that I have here. I was just getting a bit bored. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is not the area for me. Some people love it, thrive in that area. Good on them. Good on them. We need them. We need <laughs> yeah, some people right? love them, thrive in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then I found a job within a forensic inpatient hospital. What does that even look like? <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know what that is. Um, so it's a secure hospital for um, people who have, so they're not guilty by reason of mental impairment. So were experiencing psychosis at the time of committing a crime. So otherwise would have gone to prison, mm. but go to a secure hospital environment instead. So it's kind of like, now this might be a niche reference, but it's kind <laughs> of like Arkham Asylum in, in, in Batman. Is that right? Great reference. Is that, does that I make sense to you, Becca? I don't know if that's no. gone well over <laughs> okay. Never mind. That's where all like the, the mobs, uh, girl, how do I explain this? That's where all the mobs like cronies go when the... Uh, the psychologist is like, oh, actually, they're actually not uh, criminal. Oh, they're basically what you said. Yeah. They're not guilty because of yeah. uh, mental health. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Just like that. Just like Arkansas. <laughs> so I imagine Who would there be was Batman a... in this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You. <laughs> so there, there must have been a, a range of people that you were working with. Yeah. In that environment. <laughs> Um, yeah, fortunately I was placed within like the rehab end of the hospital. So people who are quite like mentally stable, like at a point where they were able to access the community without having, um, someone with them at all times. Mm. And we were sort of at the stage where they were getting ready to transition into the community independently, provided there were no setbacks, which happened right like drugs yeah make mm-hmm. their way into the hospital off you go back to the start mm. right. which is really shit to see right yeah like you you work so hard with someone and you get to a point where you're like oh, i can see the end for this person and then mm. that happens and you're like oh okay that sucks. See you again in a year or 10 or however long it takes you to get back to this point. That proper sucks. I remember I did a, a stint at a mental health hospital in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And uh, every so often there'd be like an equivalent of a drug bus, basically, where someone was sneaking in illicit drugs into the wards and then selling to the other um, inpatients and like stopping their rehab. You know, because obviously they don't have the ability always to control, you know, their urges. And so they were then getting back on it while they're trying to rehab so they can go back to the community. It's like, well, we're not going to go anywhere here. (laughs) We actually had to go through one of the wards one day and all of the inpatients were uh, taken out and we had to search through the rooms to look for basically drugs. Mm. Um, And I found an ice pipe. (gasps) Yeah, and I was a student. <laughs> I was a student EB. And I didn't know what an ice pipe looked like, but we were, going through, we were going through stuff in rooms, and I found this, like, glass tube 
uh, looked like it had been burnt on the underneath. I don't yeah. know. And I was like, excuse me, is, is, is this incriminating? Do I need to worry? And they're like, oh, there it is. Don't do it yeah. Wow, okay. What so, an introduction to EP. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really feel like EP that day. I yeah. Like, like, Violating rights. Yeah, yeah. That's my job, I guess. Yeah. Mm. I guess in environments like that, your role becomes quite flexible. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm. So drugs can set people back. Yeah. Th- that can also, like, shift the risk, right? Mm. Because you're working with people who have experienced psychosis, drugs just going to sort of tip them off the scale again. And it's a huge risk for staff as well as other patients. So never, never a fun time when Mm. there's drugs around in a secure hospital, but it continues to be an issue that I think will always be there. Like there's always ways to access them. Um, yeah. Mm. Do you have any stories from uh, things that have happened in that scene that you're like, whoa, that was an interesting experience? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Many. Um, I guess similar circumstances like that, right? Where you've been working closely with um, a patient, like lots of just one on ones, me accessing the community with them, uh, driving in a car with them. And obviously everyone goes through various um, fluctuations in mood. Um, it's, I guess, a standard practice with when working mental health that you always have to have a plan B because people often decline sort of seeing you on the day. Um, but this certain patient was like declining quite frequently and quite abrupt about it and um yeah we found out that he had been using cocaine like quite frequently um and he was like a big dude like like so the risks like involved it just sort of escalates things and you sort of take a step back and you're like wow there were all of those times where something could have (laughs) really gone quite um wrong yeah like you sort of develop a bit of a desensitization to it right like whenever you'd say oh this is where i work people are like whoa okay Mm. why and like is it scary like do you feel unsafe and you're like no like Mm. i don't like you feel like you have a, a good relationship with patients right and of course you do your mental state exam and assess like where they're at but it's when something like that happens and you sort of like reevaluate and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> this can happen and this is the nature of the environment I'm working in. But equally, there are like amazing stories of like, um, during my time there, there was a guy who was discharged into the community after being an inpatient for 30 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Like, imagine how much the world... That's a long time. (laughs) That's older than you are. Jeez. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Wow. 30 years. It was just nuts to think about how much it would have changed in the world in that time. But obviously he he would have had, 
like supervised access community, but to then be put like he'd never lived alone, right? Mm. Mm. To then go and try and live completely independently and all of the things that are involved as part of that was it was pretty cool to see him like go and like do well and yeah. And I guess that's kind of where your role came in was in the transition back to community. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, just sort of figuring out even like basic stuff, right? Like he, so he'd never lived alone. So I had never sort of had to manage like everyday household tasks. Mm. Like, so cleaning a whole unit to him was like hugely overwhelming. So like breaking down things like that or like making a grocery list and Mm. knowing like what food to cook each day and, or like using public transport around where he was being discharged to. Yeah. Sort of connecting with supports in that area. It's hard to imagine what the world would look like to someone who's been institutionalized for that long. Yeah. I, I don't even know like where you, where you'd start with approaching something like that. Yeah. Mm. It was interesting because we, we realized that he developed a bit of a, of fear like he wouldn't go out alone after dark Mm. because he'd been so used to always having to be back within the hospital environment at that time even when he was living in the community Mm. he never went out after dark Mm. yeah so we just got him more support like in the evenings to do that yeah wow yeah that's that's a crazy story (laughs) So it's crazy to see how well it can go, but then also other end of the scale, how kind of on edge and, you know, yeah, not well it can go, <laughs> I guess. So that might lead us to a, a, a very big question. Yeah. Is like your, your experience has seen sort of the inside of uh, the NHS. It's seen sort of the inside of our, our forensic, uh, how we look after people how we're supposed to look after people uh, who are um, looking to come back into the community. Like, is the system fucked? (laughs) Well, maybe a better question is how fucked is the system to be able to support those people, right? Like, not just airy-fairy, but in particular from what you've seen. Like... Mm. Big question. Um, if you need a drink, Becca. <laughs> Hold on. You. Like you've been talking a lot. Mm. I might be a little bit of ahead of you in finishing this this ginger oh. beer. I, I realised about a minute ago. I was like, oh, crap, more is done. I don't think Becca's taking a sip <laughs> about ten minutes. <laughs> so, there's more. There, there's, plenty, <laughs> there's plenty more. We've got another one to get to. Mm. Um, is it fucked? Um, slightly. Slightly. Okay. Uh, well. So the forensic, the inpatient hospital, less so than the prison system, right? So I guess I should mention that after being in the inpatient hospital, I moved to then work with, um, within the actual prison system. Um, yeah, and that's when I saw lots of holes in the system, I guess. So people who clearly struggling with their mental health or general like socio-economic challenges like just not 
coming from a great environment, sort of being released just back into nowhere, right? It just perpetuates this cycle of what, you know, I'm just going to keep cycling back in to prison. Um, yeah, like, I spoke to people who were in prison who were like, well, here I get a meal mm. and a roof over my head, right? Mm. Um, so why would I want to leave? Mm. But also the ones that do want to, like, make a change, but the system fails them in that there is no secure discharge or release environment for them to go to so inevitably they just fall back into those habits that they that ended them up in prison in the first place and they just don't have the supports and fall back into I guess the social circles they were in before which were potentially not a great influence what what I noticed that was interesting obviously during COVID um, in Melbourne, the <laughs> shit show that we had of multiple lockdowns. So it, it was a huge concern, right? If COVID got into the prisons, then, then we're fucked. <laughs> oh, so true. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, it was then like, it was then that they set up a system of somewhere for people being released from prison to go I was like, this is a great idea. Oh. Why haven't we, like, why can't we do this when COVID's not here, right? Because it wasn't threatening anyone else. Yeah, safety. right? It's like, <laughs> off you go, you deal with whatever comes your way ordinarily. COVID, oh, I'm going to pop you here for 14 days just mm. to make sure. Mm. Um, yeah. So, whilst a great idea and gave them somewhere to go probably not a long-term thing and not fixing the big issue. Mm. Sounded like a bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction to a, a pandemic that <laughs> put a band-aid on a bigger problem, perhaps, um, hasn't fixed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think... I don't, I, like, I, I don't know what... I would love to say the solution is, yeah, be better at finding somewhere for them to go. Mm. I just, I'm like, cool, build some more homes. <laughs> what do you do? So, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's deep-rooted problem, right? Um, mm. I think we, um, I think we found that with a couple of the different, well, that's like a big system, but there were some of the different schemes that we've talked about in the past like work cover is that there are inherently some problems with it um, that, you know, would be great if we could fix and change. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, how much ability do we have to actually uproot the whole system and go down and build from the bottom up again? Quite hard, I imagine, uh, in the prison system to do. I don't know, is there, do, you, do you know of anywhere like in the UK, was it done better, or have you seen examples of it being done better elsewhere? I think Scandinavia is always the <laughs> poster mm. boy for mm. like the way they manage things like that, particularly like. And I know a lot of our prisons do have like a rehab focus, but just not in the same way that 
they do it in Scandinavia. So what do they do there? What's what's different? Do you not sure? No. All all I know is that a a thing popped up on my uh, news feed today saying that the um, the Finland uh, did you see this? The Finland Prime Minister um, she missed a uh, a conference on COVID because she was out clubbing that night. She's like a, (laughs) a younger PM for Finland. And she, she, that, so that's like the only reference that I've got to, um, to the Scandinavians being awesome. <laughs> Therefore, and, uh, the Finnish are all great. They're, they're just, yeah. they're cruising. Like, they're, they're just having <laughs> But a did great you time. hear that, um, uh, the Australian Prime Minister, uh, went to Hawaii, um, and it looked like he had a really good time? Uh, I'm glad he's feeling relaxed. Like, yeah. that's really important to. Seems to, to be his go to. <laughs> Bit of self care, you know. If only we could all do more Hawaii trips. Get a bit tanned. Like he could. Mm. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. There you go. So that, that's the only insight that I've got into that's, Scandinavia. That's a great insight. Um, what What I'm interested in is, um, what what do OTs actually do in that forensic? Like, what was your like day to day role? Mm in the in the jail okay so yeah in the forensic hospital um very like practical stuff right so um did some group type work on like communication skills um yeah can't remember what other groups <laughs> we did <laughs> um Many more groups. Lots of groups. Yeah, lots of groups. Lots of groups. Lots of groups. Love they group. loved groups. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where they get their drugs. Yeah. In their groups. Yeah. That's rude. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess lots of my work was one-to-one. Just because of the stage they were at, um, the more acute end of the hospital, it is a lot more group stuff. And you'd be doing stuff like cooking or like exercise Mm. and stuff but um given where they were at they were either like looking for like volunteer or paid work Mm -hmm. or like rental somewhere to live Mm. um a big part of my role was helping them with disclosure so like learning how or knowing the most appropriate way to disclose their offending interesting yeah which is always shit right because it's like not reason by mil- by not guilty by reason of mental impairment mm. but it still has the charge on there right mm. so it could be like not guilty by reason of mental impairment murder like <sighs> whoa, someone's Ooh. gonna read that and still be okay. like yeah. okay you, you still this killed is someone. a lot yeah mm. so Bruh. it's just that was a big challenge for me. So I've gone a bit off on a sidetrack. No, but um, like I felt like they weren't, they didn't have a chance before they were even tried, right, in the community because of this big stigma, this thing hanging over them, like that happened whilst they were very, very unwell. And. I guess for me, it was helping them to be able to have that conversation and word it in a way that <laughs> would not make people go, oh shit, I'm not hiring you or you can't live here. Mm. Um, 
because they have to disclose it, right? Um, we couldn't, can't not. Plus, lots of places do police checks now, so we had to be prepared to have that conversation. Hmm. Um, but it was it was hard to be like, yeah, that was probably the biggest thing that I struggled with in that society just felt like it didn't give them a chance. Hmm. Um, yeah. You you mentioned struggled there. Um, I imagine working within that system, like there must have been days where you've just gone like, fuck, that was a big day. <laughs> like, how do you look after yourself and how do you make sure you don't take that work home? Because it must be confronting sometimes, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, confronting is a good word for it, I'd say. Um, yeah, there were absolutely days where I was like, hmm, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess what during the oh God, I'm really behind. Hold on, I'm gonna. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> you, you pause, Becca. Hold that thought. Where Andrew and I have both finished our ginger beers because you've been doing all the talking. Mm. Um, Andrew, what do we have here? Is the second one that Becca's we've got a brought. little creature's pale ale. Which is, which is one point five standard drinks from a oh, can. It's five point two percent. Which is, so which is, kill us <laughs> I picked this because I went to the Little Creatures Brewery in Fremantle. Oh, on is like it in, one of my okay. first trips when I moved here. Cool. And they do an incredible sticky date pudding. Oh, love a sticky date pudding <laughs> at a brewery. Yeah, it was great. I was like shocked. <laughs> In a sticky date, I'm not good with sticky date. Is there alcohol? Is that? I don't think so. Okay, so it's not. I'm trying to work out if it's related to beer, at all, no. or they just happen to do it. No, good no, sticky they date. did like full food menu and mm. and dessert. Yeah, there you go. Not realize. We're an EP podcast slash uh, brewery slash reviewer yeah. slash dessert. When- <laughs> When WA decide to let anyone in. Yeah. I didn't realise that Little Creatures was a Perth beer. Mm. Yeah, they have a brewery in Geelong as well. Okay. So maybe they started... Oh, no, yeah, it started yeah. WA and started then they WA. moved. Yeah, right. Okay. I can't say I've had a whole lot of Little Creatures, and I think now I know. I've never actually looked at the bottle or the can, uh, but I didn't realise it was so strong. Mm. So I was trying to work out, it's like, why doesn't it taste as nice as other pale ales? It's like, oh... It's because it's got like an extra full percent of alcohol in it. <laughs> and I don't think I was ready for it. Oh, no, it's, it's great now I know that because I can enjoy it for what it is. Don't worry, it's better than the grapefruit IPA. Okay, yeah. And the pickle thing that we had? I mean, God, I love pickles, good. but not in a beer. <laughs> that was like, that was sour. That was as sour as, as drinks could get. Yeah. 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 This is actually quite nice following a ginger beer, though. Because our okay. ginger beer was quite sweet. And like mm. had a bit of a like a spicy punch to it as well, but this is just kind of beer, and it's nice to drink some normal beer after that. Good one. Very good. There you go. Anyway. Um, yeah. Self care. Self care. Beer. Beer. <laughs> 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 no, those... yeah. yeah, I went straight Great. to the pub. Great. Um, <laughs> No, uh, I think when I worked at the forensic inpatient setting, 
I was pretty good at the self-care. I I always got the bus or train home. So like I had like a 20 minute walk, would like listen to a podcast or an audio book. Like it's about having that process, right? Of switching off. Um, so yeah, would walk, catch the train and make sure that I'm doing things that help me switch off. So like I was part of like a triathlon squad and so that for me that was a huge way for me to switch off my brain and just focus on something else. Um, yeah, I think it got, it definitely got a lot harder when I was working in the community with the guys coming out of prison um, because we had COVID. Mm. So I was working from home doing Zoom treatment. They were coming to you. No, they did, definitely didn't come no, to my house. There's some boundaries. There <laughs> yeah. to be. Here is where I live. <laughs> come on in. Come on. <laughs> definitely not. Um, we did group treatment over Zoom. Oh. Yeah. So at least you can't share drugs that way. <laughs> There's a wind. Silver lining. Silver lining. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, working from your spare room, like reading some pretty intense reports, writing pretty intense reports. Um, I definitely set a boundary for myself in that whilst running groups I did that from the office so we were allowed to do that I was like there's absolutely no way I'm bringing this content into my home mm -hmm. and try to limit that as much as possible but everything else that I would do self-care wise was kind of taken away from me like we couldn't we were allowed outside for an hour a day mm -hmm. um and like group training couldn't happen mm. um yeah, so that was really hard, and I definitely noticed some pretty not nice, like, impacts of that. And I think that's one of the reasons I left that setting, because I was like, oh, this is getting a bit much now. It's, like, impacting on my life and, like, how I'm feeling. Um, yeah, so that's when I was, like, call, time to call it. Get out of Melbourne. Yeah, left the state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not risking this. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm out. Bye. Yeah. Wow. But like, really interesting setting. Like, learned so much. Like through working in that area, um, and really, like, I want. I did it right because I'm like, how does someone end up here? Like, what happens in their life? For them to end up here and I wanted to understand that and um, certainly did like going through like their life story and the things that have happened and I'm like oh wow okay this is clearly why um, and it's not just that you're all just like terrible people right mm. um, yeah and I think that's what society doesn't see or like very rarely get the opportunity to be like well actually this person had this this and this happening and that's why this happened mm. um mm. it's very easy to, to label someone as yeah. you did this but you don't see what led to them doing that yeah and that and i guess part of our treatment was helping them themselves figure out 
what led to that so it doesn't happen again right right yeah so yeah it was really interesting and rewarding at times but i think the covid like the zoom treatment took away that like personalization like it was so hard over zoom and those rewarding moments got less and less mm. and i was like oh this is there's no satisfaction for you yeah it's hard right mm. yeah mm. i think it's interesting in healthcare is that like what generally gives us satisfaction is seeing good outcomes and good moments for your clients and if you can't see those as much then we have less satisfaction yeah mm. definitely it's hard when you're not experiencing or seeing the wins like mm. in real life well, it's all about that, right? Like any, I, I know I get a buzz anytime a client like does something really, really cool that they want to do. That's like the best feeling in the world for me. And I think that's why a lot of us do what we do is because that's such a cool feeling when someone you're working with has like a huge breakthrough or, mm-hmm. you know, works towards one of their goals and hits a milestone. And if you're not getting that, <laughs> then there's not much satisfaction in it. So totally understand where you're going. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So you moved to Sydney um, and transitioned into a new role. What What is that role in OT now? So obviously now I'm in private practice. Mm. Moved from public sector. Uh, so now I'm mental health OT. Well, I always was. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I guess my roles in other settings have been a bit more broad, mm. like clinician as opposed to mental health OT. Um, so now, to cover a range of things. So, um, like I really love the like emotion regulation type work. So, I guess going back to previous work I've done, we're like helping people identify how they're feeling. Um, figuring out how that impacts them day to day so like um, behaviorally like physiologically would go through that and then come up with strategies right to manage that so that they can continue to be functional whether that's at work or study um, yeah with anxiety or like ADHD bipolar schizophrenia like yeah really enjoy that stuff but like also doing lots of like the general sort of like routine building and breaking down tasks to make them more manageable depending on their needs and the way that they process information that is such a clear way to describe mental health ot (laughs) that i Never been able to word to anyone ever. <laughs> and now we have it recorded. And now we have it recorded. <laughs> so I will just refer people to the podcast there you go. anytime they ask me. <laughs> because I get asked all the time. It's like, yeah. Oh, so Becca's a mental health OT. It's like, yeah. So what is what do they what does she do? <laughs> well <laughs> don't know where to start. I don't know. Yeah. Many things. But there you go. Clip it. There you go. Right there. That's great. What what do you think are the main differences for you? personally between working public sector and private sector now um so freedom ah <laughs> freedom. freedom i wish you did that in a scottish accent, <laughs> a accent. 
Yeah, I'm not going to attempt an accent. Um, Yeah, well, I think it helps, like, having a great boss as well who is pretty happy for you to sort of be like, hey, I have this idea, can I run with it? He's like, yeah, cool. Sorry, who's who's your boss? (laughs) Andrew. Oh, Andrew. (laughs) Allied health business owner, Andrew. And and business mentor. (laughs) And business mentor, Andrew. (laughs) Keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking. Mm. <laughs> yeah so you can like I had a very very good wise friend once tell me a job is what you make it which I agree to a certain point I feel like within the public sector there are lots of barriers that can stop you making it what you want right there's lots of red tape mm. lots of hoops you have to jump through mm. to put something in place or like implement a new idea um plus there's a lot of politics that just yeah got can be frustrating to deal with um and what i love about working here within and within the private sector is yeah that freedom to be creative Mm. um yeah, and if I want to run with something, I can't, right? Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty, it's, it's definitely <laughs> cool. I can relate to that. Like, think, having a, an idea, think, oh, I wonder if this will work, or I want to try this thing, and then asking and getting a yes, go for it, see what happens, is, is very, very cool, very liberating. And I think the freedom allows for a lot more of that satisfaction that we talked about. Hmm. Definitely. Yeah. All right, Andrew, question for you. When, because people, you know, your, your team comes to you a lot with, with ideas and things uh, that we want to try or, you know, we want to give a go. And I very, very rarely do I hear a, mm, don't do that. Is that a conscious thing that you go yes to a lot of your team's ideas yes it's it is conscious because uh there like there's a great book by by daniel pink uh drive <laughs> drive by wait daniel pink. which book i haven't heard of it before drive oh okay. definitely a reference to <laughs> in like, every we should podcast. be getting kickbacks from him for his podcast <laughs> i reckon <laughs> Autonomy, mastery, and purpose, right? Mm. So if somebody has an idea, even if even if that idea has been tried before, or even if uh, we don't think it's it's got as much potential, we'll still let people try it. Because we might be wrong, right? We might just have done it at the wrong time with the wrong group and it just needed a different perspective on it. I think if you take that away from people, it's like, well, you end up with a bunch of yes people that just do what's asked of them. And that's not great for what we want to try and create here. So, yes. I imagine if there's a culture of people who don't pursue their own ideas, but just follow instructions that can have a big effect on how much load there is on you to come up with the ideas. 
and the things for growth. Funny, that, isn't it? Funny. Funny, that. It's almost like you thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it gives people ownership as well, right? Like if, if you come up with a program and you're given the, the leeway to go and work it out, then it becomes your little baby. And you're, you're much more invested in that process. And wherever that ends, um, like, doesn't really matter. Mm. Because if it's your thing and, and we're here to support you, then everyone wins, right? Interesting. So you become more of the grandparent to the idea than the parent. Fuck, I'm 38. <laughs> no, like, there's always references. There's always a reference to, <laughs> to the age. You, you use the word baby. <laughs> all right. So if it's, if oh, it's, right. if it's okay. our baby, right. your baby, and our idea is the baby, and you've just gone like, yeah, see, go see what happens, and we go, hey, um, I want to try this with my baby idea, um, but you're not directly responsible for it. You're basically the grandparent. I see the reference now. But thank yep. you. I thought that was really clear. In that my was. Head, that but, was. Um, now that you nothing to do with age. Nothing to do with age. That was very good. Yeah. There you go. Because you get to then um, be there for, for the milestones. They're like, yeah, it's amazing. The, the idea went really, really well. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> but, but if it doesn't work, it's like, okay, yeah. well, at least I tried, right? Mm. And, I, and at least I had someone mm. to bounce the ideas around as, yeah. this, as we were trying to work it out. That's it. Yeah. So, yes. There you go. I promise I will not refer to you as a grandparent ever again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, there you go. I right. think um, one, one of the, the best things um, that you brought to our team is the, that self-care, right? So our audience, our huge audience, yeah. is um, younger, potentially new grad allied health professionals. And from someone that has got experience in working in like a pretty intense kind of role, and you've reflected before about some of the self-care strategies that you've had for those newer grads or new into the workforce, what would be some of tips that you could give to them from a self-care perspective? Yeah. Um, find something you love that that helps you switch off whether that's exercise reading listening to music whatever it is you need to do um do it regularly um reach out to friends like spend time um doing nice things with them um if it if you're someone who journals right that's a great resource somewhere is that it's an outlet for you to get things out of your brain and onto paper and i i think like doing it with pen and paper can sometimes be more therapeutic than typing mm. and i think we live in a world where most people would just go to typing whether on phone or computer but like the process of writing it out can be a lot more therapeutic i found um ask for help don't be afraid to ask for help right i think there's a lot of, can be a lot of pressure sometimes as a new grad you feel like you have to impress or like i need to be up to a certain standard or 
yeah, like you're here to learn, right? And we are more than happy to help. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, I think our team in particular, like we always like pitch in for each other, which is great. Um, but we need to know that you need that support. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, like for me, it's just like having a routine when I get home from work. Um, like I will always like shower and change my clothes. It's just a little like process. Um, yeah, meditation if that's what, if that's your thing. Uh, we live in the most beautiful place. Um, whether that's just sitting at the beach, um, just taking a little time out. Do you guys do meditation or some form of it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah. Mindfulness. So would do so do lots of like body scans with people. Would either direct them to recordings or I've like recorded myself before and just sent it to um, clients. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. What, what does that look like for the client? Like, what do they receive? Uh, like a f- file on Okay, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, that's not word. <laughs> that was not worded well at all. Me at like, the door, like You recording yourself talking... Yeah, sorry, like reading out a script, like, like right, a body okay. scan script, mm. or like a guided imagery. Um, yeah. Mm, mm. That's really cool. And that's so personalised because then they hear you and they know you rather mm. than like this random American voice from uh, an app. Yeah, mm. and that's the issue we find a lot, right? People like, I have this app, but I hate the pers- the voice yeah. of the person reading it. I'm mm. like, okay, cool. Well, what if I record it for you? Do you have any good recommendations for either mindfulness or meditation apps or services that people should give a go if they're looking to get into it, mm. other than getting you to record yourself. <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so many apps out there now. Um, I use Headspace a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Headspace for the focus playlists um, whilst I'm working, like if I need to just like block everything out. Um, but like waking up is also a great one. Waking up? Yeah. There's so many, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, would Headspace and Waking Up would be a couple of my top ones. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So I never know where to start. I know um, I know people who've got Calm, the mm-hmm. very, very popular one that everyone gets Instagram ads for every so <laughs> often. Um, and, and it's cool because you can scroll through and it's like, I want a meditation that but uh, narrated by Matthew McConaughey. Oh, how good it, have you listened yeah, to Yeah, I've heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we were going through COVID, the, like the first time, and it was like crazy hectic and anxiety was fucking like through the roof and I wasn't sleeping very well. Matthew McConaughey at two o'clock in the morning, I would be straight asleep. Like what a dream boat. Southern accent. Oh, it the, yeah, that slow <laughs> draw. Oh, Texas draw. Send me to sleep. <laughs> Fantastic. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Do you have a favourite? Um, no, I, I know my partner has calm and uh, she is that. So sometimes I just like, if I'm watching something in bed, I'll just take out um, a headphone and just listen to it as well. Mm. I was like, oh, that sounds nice. 
<laughs> and then also like send me to sleep as well but no I haven't had a whole lot of success with meditation mindfulness but just because I probably haven't stuck through with it enough mm. I've tried it once or twice and going oh yeah that was nice but you know I personally didn't feel like I, I needed it enough to, to keep going yeah um, but I think it's good to have some some apps or some services that people can go to if they do feel like they want to try it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And I'd say I'd probably use box breathing more than any like sort of guided mindfulness meditation. Mm. Um, just because you don't need anything to do it, right? And like, no one knows when you're doing it. It just looks like you're breathing. Um, yeah, so it's probably the one I use the most. And box breathing, do you want to give like a, a 30 second uh, instruction on what actually is yeah. box breathing. Okay, so you, I always picture a box in my mind. So as you go up the left-hand side of the box, you take a deep breath in. So it might be for like four seconds. As you move along the top edge of the box, you hold that breath in for four seconds. As you go down the right edge, exhale for four seconds. And along the bottom edge, you hold that exhale out. And then you just keep repeating the cycle you can do it if you can hold it for 10 seconds go for it but it's like a huge box yeah one minute of each side to box yeah i mean four is probably where i normally <laughs> unless you've got the lungs of like michael phelps or something yeah like yeah yeah i actually used it to help with swimming too yeah there you go there you go mm. perfect lovely well becca thanks for coming on I think there was there's so many cool nuggets and so many bits of great information and insights you had there. Um, and and the beer, the beer was wonderful. Mm. How did you like the, the pale ale, Andrew? Excellent. Excellent. Big fan. Big fan. Of the Little Creatures Pale Ale. I, th well I think after last episode where we had two very, very out there drinks, I wouldn't call them beer. Mm. <laughs> um, this this was great. It's like a nice sweet, low alcohol ginger beer into just like a nice strong pale ale. Mm. Becky, you've you've nailed, nailed <laughs> the drinks. We were hoping for like a Welsh beer. I I tried. Um, it's quite a niche area. I mean, there are lots of local breweries back home. Um, yeah, just. I'd say not a huge demand for them to be imported. <laughs> yeah, that's. Funny. I will say we'd end it on yechida, which means cheers, in Welsh. Yechida, yechida. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We'll see, we'll see you in a couple of weeks, and uh, make sure you listen to some other episodes if you enjoyed this one. There are some absolute bangers in there. See you later. <laughs>